All right, man. This is episode number 66 of the Cozy Corner of Cinema. This is being recorded on Saturday, July 1st, 2023 at 1.39 p.m. It's 4th of July weekend, appearing on a Tuesday this year. I'm sure many people are excited to be uh, have, a, have time off work, or uh, maybe you have a long weekend or something, or either way, it looks like we'll be having a lot of free time. And free time should be used in the way that you want to use it, man. And in my case, it will be used to the fullest extent. I gotta get that 1934 episode out. I got so much to do for that. I gotta take notes. I gotta put all my uh, clips together. I gotta record the dang thing. Make sure I'm not talking like a crazy person. Gotta even rewatch a couple films to get a refresher. But that'll get done, hopefully, at the beginning of next week, maybe Monday or Tuesday, but time will tell, but it'll be out regardless, so we can get started on the next list, man. But, uh, yeah, it's just a, a really nice day out, man. It's, it's got a little bit of a mugginess in the air that I think is kind of going away. I uh, got the fans on in here, but it's not too hot, you know. I haven't stepped outside yet, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But either way, it seems to be a nice day, and... Um, you're going to want to keep an eye out on the weather this upcoming uh, next couple of days, you know. On 4th of July, if you want to grill, or you want to be outside, or do whatever it is you want to do. You know, you want to make sure you're prepared for it. You don't want to, you know, buy all your uh, equipment and food for, you know, you go to grill or something like that. And then you didn't even look and find out there's a thunderstorm happening or something like that. You're like, oh, man, I got all this food now. I got to go, you know, got to bring it all back inside and stuff. You just you want to be on top of that, you know. Um but yeah, I guess we're officially now halfway through the year, depending on if you count June or July, beginning of June or July, as officially halfway through the year. And 2023 so far has been a really, really terrific year for films. Um, you know, some of the some of my favorite films I've seen this year, I, I think, might be considered technically 2022 films. That is, were released in 2022 but didn't make their way over to america until now or uh in some cases you know a fix like uh like played at a festival or something like that then they counted as 2022 i really don't know where the line is drawn for that um uh, because the thing is i've seen so many terrific films this year that i uh, don't even i haven't even looked exactly at um exactly what are 2022 and 2023 films i mean for the most part if a film is uh widely theatrically released in a major, uh, you know, cinema, then it's safe to say it's uh, a 2023 film. But certain films you see, certain foreign films that uh, maybe didn't make their way over to America until now, but have been released overseas, uh, released in their native country beforehand. You know, I'm like, uh, it was, you know, when I was talking about uh, a film that I saw theatrically last year, uh, Hold Me Tight, the Matthew Malick film, which I have talked about uh, so many times, and I think it's uh, just a beautiful uh, film. One of the, I, I said that was one of the best films I had seen in 2022. But then that was technically a 2021 film. So when I did my top 10 of 2021, I rewatched that, and that ended up being on my top 10 of that year. I think that is just such a in, an incredible film that. Uh, still is not being talked about very much. Currently has a Blu-ray out. Um, I got it in the last, actually, Kino Lorber sale. Um, I don't know if they released it. I think it may have been a Cohen Media title, to my knowledge. Maybe. I actually don't know. But either way, that was part of the sale, and I, I, I grabbed that. And uh, it was just so great to uh, have that film. It's just such a, a terrific film. 
But then I look back at, like, the beginning of the year, and I would assume that the films that I saw at the very beginning this year would be considered 2022. Ultimately, not that it matters, but if you're trying to make some sort of comprehensive list, you know, you don't want to find yourself contradicting yourself. Like, when I put together my favorites of 2022, uh, you know, I had both... uh, Broker and Skid Amerink on that list. Those are two films that I, I thought were just great. Um, but I saw both those theatrically in January of this year. So, um, but those would technically be 2022 films, you know. But if we're, if I'm talking about the best films that I've seen this year theatrically, then yes, those both those two films would be up there. You know, I've I've sung the praises of both those films, and um, but you know you don't want to put it on multiple lists or anything like that. Um, speaking of which, man, you know I uh, I was. Yesterday I was watching a film, and uh, I was like, "Oh man, you know that I, I would like to go see the new Indiana Jones film." You know, uh, you know, I, I typically don't. Uh, a lot of the mainstream, bombastic, loud theatrical uh, 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 films, I, I, I'm typically not very interested in. I just, I don't get any kind of, um, I don't get any kind of long-lasting feelings from these films it's more so just brief amusements that fades but there was new indiana jones film out and i said oh i'd like to go see that film and i saw i was playing an imax so i was like okay i'm I'm gonna go see an imax when is it starting and i looked at the show times and the one imax i was going to see it in which is a proper full theater imax uh traffic was just backed up way too much on my gps on the gps it was just like you know it's gonna take me way longer to get there you don't want to sit in traffic all day and i was just like ah, all right i can't uh i can't make that uh but there's another imax about an hour in the opposite direction which is attached to a cinemark and i was like okay when can i leave to uh go see this film and as i had about 10 minutes before i had to leave to catch it in time and so I got out of my seat, and I was like, I guess I'm going to the IMAX to go see this film. And it was beautiful, man. Going down, it was uh, almost all back roads, man. You know, I try not to go on the highway if I don't need to. You know, it's just, you know, crazy drivers, everybody's speeding in and out of lanes, just unnecessary. But I'm driving down the street, you know, all these back roads, driving through these small towns. It's only about an hour away or so, so I'm not, like, going too far or anything like that. But just these... Parts of the area I'd never been to before, these small towns, just all this history. You see the people walking around. It was a beautiful day out. I got the window down, the music's playing. It was just a beautiful sight, man. And, you know, it just, you, you drive through these areas and it, it's like a whole new feeling. You just, it almost makes you emotional, man. It's just a truly beautiful experience that, you know, if you live in certain parts of the country or live in a city kind of area, you're, you're probably not going to get these sort of, uh, you know, kind of rural uh, suburban kind of, uh, landscapes, but it was, it was just absolutely something else. But anyway, so I get to the cinema, I get in the theater, man. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this new Indiana Jones film. And I've said before, just the obnoxiousness of some of these trailers that you see of just loud films that are just, just completely devoid of any sort of intellectual stimulation. It's all just franchise, 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 you know, loud noises, uh, bad, you know, comedies. It's just all these, these you're not going to get anything out of these. So, you know, I'm watching this film and, uh, you know, I'm, I get to the first, I'm watching the first 20 minutes. And uh, I should also say, you know, a, a big reason why I'd wanted to see this as well is, you know, directed, directed by one of my favorite filmmakers, James Mangold directed one of my favorite films, Copland, 
uh, with Sylvester Stallone, Robert De Niro, Robert Patrick. You know, it's just a terrific film. Ray Liotta. He's also directed many other terrific films. But I'm watching this film, and I, I, the first 20 minutes happen in a terrific action sequence. You know, the theater is loud, the screen is huge, and I'm watching it. I'm going, oh man, I'm I'm engaged in this. And I'm watching halfway through the film. There's a, a as a action sequence in the middle of the film. There's a car chase on these like these little kind of like motorcycles that, uh, you know, they're going through the streets and stuff. And and it was at that moment I realized, like, my God, man, I'm sitting in this theater, in these comfortable seats, and I am watching a big budget Hollywood spectacle. And I am enjoying myself. I am happy to be in the cinema at this moment. I am not nauseated. It is. I, I don't want to throw up at the just completely senseless and nonsensical uh, uh, directing choices or acting choices. You know, ultimately, when you watch a film like this, you can. You know, the script, man, it ain't. It ain't. It ain't as tight as could be. There are in any kind in any of these kinds of films. There are plenty of con- plot conveniences. There are there are tons of moments of suspending reality, suspending disbelief. But when I was sitting there in that cinema, I I just was completely enjoying myself. I was completely enjoying the experience. I was not waiting for it to end. I was not thinking about other things. My mind was not wandering anywhere. And by the time the ending came up, and it says directed by James Mangold, and the lights go up. I thought, my God, man, I'm happy to be in this cinema right now. And it could be, you know, you watch so many highbrow films, you watch so many foreign films, films that you actually will get something out of that will stick with you and make you really ponder and come back to them. And when, you know, I've been watching really just primarily that, that when I go see a film like this, where it is all spectacle, but it's all fun and you know, it's enjoyable, and the action scenes are well done, and most of the comedy works, and it's the feeling that, like, wow, man, this really is the theatrical experience. This is being in a, in a cinema with other people who are laughing at the jokes, who are responding to the film. You know, you're seeing a film like this on a giant screen, and you're getting, you feel like you're part of the action, part of the film, and it just truly was such a, a riveting moment, man, to walk out of that cinema and go, wow, I was actually, I'm walking out of the cinema with a smile on my face. I'm not walking out going, you know, what What did I just watch? This was nonsense. You know, there's nothing to this. I, I walk out, and I'm actually happy, man. And I go, wow, you know, I, I've been so burned on so many terrible, just loud, theatrical, you know, big-budget films that seeing a film like this is almost like a breath of fresh air. And I should also say... You know, I know the I know the film itself. I don't give a damn about any kind of reviews or anything like that. I, I know I, I've read some. You know, I've seen it didn't get like the best response and people like this. And and I, on YouTube, I already get recommended like you know YouTube channels that are just like, oh, this was the worst film ever. This ruined the legacy. And, and all anytime I see those kind of videos pop up, I just I don't even bother. I click don't recommend channel and I move on, man. Because for a summer blockbuster, for a summer spectacle film that you watch. And you just revel in the excitement and the action and the comedy. I think this is a really, really enjoyable summer blockbuster that I found myself just walking out of the cinema being like, wow, man, I actually enjoyed myself. Go figure. Really enjoyed that film. 2023 has had just tons of great films, man. Um, You know, I'm not going to go through a whole list or anything like that. I'm looking at... 
my theatrical watches this year, and I've seen 86 films theatrically this year, um, possibly less because um, 15 of those were short films for the Academy Awards. So ultimately, it's actually going to be, um, what is it? I I guess 71 feature films seen theatrically this year. But uh, some, some good, some not good at all. Uh, some, you know, you ain't going to get that time back. But it's the risks you take. But I look at the list here, man, and, and uh, yeah, just looking back, I, uh, when I get to the end of the year, I'll have to be more tight about what films are technically counted for 2023. But um, I guess, I mean, even just the last couple of months, just seeing so many great films uh i talked about like blackberry i talked about uh oh i maybe didn't i mean some of these i didn't talk about but you know films like uh blackberry uh rmn the new film from director uh christian mungi who directed um the great film uh four months three weeks and two days which is actually a criterion title so if you're interested in that you can get it this month on sale for twenty dollars but um Monica was a film that I thought was great. Uh, Master Gardener was interesting. Um, the Eight Mountains was very good. Yogi Berra, It Ain't Over, great documentary. Other People's Children was a very interesting film. Costa Vermeer was a solid documentary. Blue Jean was a great film. Past Lives, which I just saw two weeks ago. I mean, it's a serious contender for, like, you know, top three of the year so far. You know, I don't know if I even have a favorite film of the year so far. I think maybe the closest would be something like One Fine Morning or, hmm, I'm trying to think what else. Maybe The Innocent, uh, maybe Showing Up. I think those three could probably be uh, serious contenders for my favorites of the year in terms of a number one spot. Um, even though, you know, those fil- none of those films are better than each other, but ultimately those three films, One Fine Morning, The Innocent, and Showing Up, I just got a lot, a lot out of, you know. Um, but even, uh, yeah, like I said, even something like, like The Dial of Destiny, you know, I just thought was such a riveting, fun experience and um, just, just really makes you happy to be in that moment. And I tell you, man, uh, it looks, I mean, July is already, already have a, already has a couple good looking titles coming out. That new Mission Impossible looks fantastic, man. Talk about a series that really kind of took, uh, uh, a complete trajectory. It, it's, a, it's one of the few franchises that it's actually gotten better as time goes on. You know, it's, it's funny to see Brian De Palma's first film that he talks about in that terrific De Palma documentary, just called De Palma directed by Noah Baumbach, and I think Wes Anderson was involved with that too, to my knowledge. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, I recommend that. That goes all the way up to, I think that was filmed before Passion, because they show clips of that, but I don't think it had been out yet. I mean, I know the film came out after Passion, but the it may have been, he may have been interviewed before that, but basically De Palma talks about all of his films, and it's a 90-minute film, you know, it, it talks about sort of the highs and lows of his career, so he was trying to do with each of his work, you know, each of his works, it makes you appreciate maybe some of his films that you're, that I'm, I wasn't quite high on, you know, so some of his later work, like uh, Snake Eyes, and Femme Fatale, and um, Raising Cain, you know, I don't think any of those are bad films, but I don't think any of them are very good either, but it's interesting to see kind of his perspective on where he was at at that time, and what he was trying to go for with those films. I think I've seen almost all of his work, except for uh, I haven't seen The Black Dahlia, I haven't seen Obsession, 
I'd have to think about that. I think I've seen almost everything else that he's done. Uh, I don't know if that De Niro De Palma box set is still in print, but if you're able to get your hands on that, you're going to want to get on that, man. You got three films in there, The Wedding Party, Greetings, and Hi, Mom. Three very interesting films um, that are, are worth your time. And actually, a little while ago, when I was talking about, when I read that book, Revolution, about um, sort of... I've talked about this book a couple times, but the 60s sort of uh, uh, international cinema, a lot of that was being made. At one point when I was talking about that, I never I never forgot that I stumbled over my words on this. When I was talking about uh, Francis Ford Coppola's The Rain People being inspired by a French New Wave film, I actually meant to say Hi Mom by Brian De Palma. I don't know why I said The Rain People. Um, I think that was just what I was thinking about at that time. I, I really don't know. I mean, The Rain People has kind of some of those elements, but High Mom is way more influenced by that, and that's the film that I actually meant to say. I don't know why I said that other film, but The Ring People is also a good film as well, also worth watching. Uh, R.I.P. James Caan, and actually, speaking of James Caan, R.I.P. Alan Arkin. I was talking a little while ago about one of my favorite discoveries of last year was Freebie and the Bean, that stars Alan Arkin and James Caan as two cops who are just, they just do not have any sort of ethics or morals. They, they, they are causing all this property damage. They're saying the most un-PC things. And it was just such an enjoyable and funny and big, bombastic film that you actually walk away from remembering and, and wanting to recommend to people. Um, but I also wanted to mention a film that I think uh, cult fans are aware of, but I don't think is still in the general consensus unless you're you know, like I said, unless you're really on top of it, but it's the film he directed that has a Blu-ray from Indicator from, I think, 1974, I'm sorry, 71, with uh, Elliot Gould, is the film Little Murders, and it's such an interesting and strange film. It's, at, I mean, it's Elliot Gould when he was just really in his prime, you know, just, just when he was playing not exactly similar kind of characters, but these sarcastic sort of going through, stumbling through life sort of characters, but not being dumb, you know. But in this film, he's he's really unhinged. There's a whole great moment where he's talking about how he just, if someone's beating him up, he just spaces out of it. He doesn't even think about it. And, you know, the, the other character's like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, um, this has a blur from Indicator right now. Uh, no stateside release, but would definitely recommend this film. And I already saw some people like Brian Sauer bringing this back up when uh, the news of Alan Arkin's death broke. Um, I should also say that the film was written by Jules uh, Pfeiffer, who also wrote uh, Carnal Knowledge from 1971, the same year with uh, Jack Nicholson, which is also a really great film as well. I don't know if that has a release right now or not. It might be part of that lost and found criterion set i really don't know i it, i'm trying to think i could look it up but yeah i guess why not i'll look it up i it might have a blu-ray but that's a really solid film as well i gotta say uh does it have a blu-ray um i don't think it does it has an overseas blu-ray but it looks like nothing in the states that's a shame. Unless I'm missing something. But that's a great Mike Nichols film. Definitely worth watching. Yeah, it has, it has an overseas Blu-ray from Art House. H-A-U-S. So, you're going to want to get on that, man. Um, also, I think... Who is this? Is this... Oh, it's another company. Okay, Studio Canal is a Blu-ray of it as well. Interesting. Okay. From Japan. Okay. Good to know. Well, that could use a Blu-ray at some point in the States. 
But yes. Uh, R.I.P. to Alan Arkin. Definitely want to get on some of those films. And he's interesting. He's one of these guys who really had longevity in his career. He never kind of faded out of the public eye. He was always in these really interesting films. and was always doing good work, you know, even up to, like, 2012 when he was in, like, Argo, you know, which won Best Picture that year and, you know, had a sizable role in that. He really never kind of got out of the public sort of consciousness. But either way, usually whenever a uh, uh, an actor or a director, anyone passes, you'll see people bringing up films that, hey, if you haven't seen this film, you should check this film out, you know, or that's one of his lesser-known films. So, you know, RIP to him. It's a good opportunity to keep an eye out for recommendations. So there you go. If you haven't seen those two films, Freebie and the Bean and Little Murders, those are my two recommendations to you. I've been finishing up. I'm just about finished with that Norman Mailer book that I was talking about. I think I have about 150 pages left, so I'll probably get that done in the next week or two. And I actually just got in the mail uh, a book I really can't wait to uh, get into, which is about the making of The Dirty Dozen. See here. Sorry, I just kind of pulled the thing up. Yeah, but the making of the Dirty Dozen. I don't. Uh, the, the book's in the other room, but definitely will want to be reading that man because uh, Dirty Dozen as well is, is just one of the best World War II films. Maybe the best one. I, I really don't know. I'd have to think about that. But anyways, I'm gonna be reading that next. But I'm just about finished up with this Norman Mailer book, and I wanted to talk about this from a little while ago. But I wanted to wait. I I wanted to wait to read the book to have a little bit more context because I said before when I talked about Town Bloody Hall that I wasn't really familiar with Norman Mailer as a person. I didn't even know he was an author. I just knew him from the director of Tough Guys Don't Dance. Uh, I knew of his experimental work, uh, the famous kind of clip of Rip Torn hitting him with a hammer. So uh, I will admit, I will admit, I spent a little while since I've seen this film, so I'm not going to be in-depth. I have no notes on this, and truthfully, I didn't even know if I was going to talk about it this episode, so I'm not going to be talking about this for too long. But I did want to kind of mention it, especially now with context. His 1987 directorial, uh, I think his only featured film directed, not, I mean, his experimental work are all shorts and stuff, but uh, I believe, you know, he, he had been involved with a lot of, um, let's see here. Okay, actually, okay, not his direct, not his feature director, directed film. I have not seen Maidstone or Beyond the Law. Let me see here. Yeah, no, I, I apologize. Yeah, that's, this is actually his fourth film. I don't know why I forgot about these. Um, I think, the, yeah, these are more experimental films that he had talked about. Oh, it looks like it's actually part of a Criterion set. I think it's an Eclipse set. Ooh, I wanna, I'm, I'm gonna wanna get on this, man. Wild 90 and Beyond the Law. Wow, I'm gonna, this is the perfect time to get it. I'm, oh boy. You guys listening to it, uh, oh, and, and Maidstone as well? Wow. That is cool, man. That is wicked. Oh man, that is so cool. Anyways. Tough Guys Don't Dance currently has a Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, and I remember hearing, I don't know if it was Justin Liberty who runs, who's the main kind of guy at Vinegar Syndrome, or if it was somebody else really talking about how this was a personal kind of favorite for them, how it's a film that its reputation has kind of turned into a meme on the internet where there's a one, there's one scene in the film famously of Ryan O'Neill's character reading an envelope and he has this really stinted, awkward line de- delivery and Norm Mailer spinning the camera around in a strange sort of fashion. And, and you know, you, you see that clip and you're like, what the hell kind of choice is this? 
and explain it to read up and how Ryan O'Neill didn't even want that in the film. He thought it was awkward and stinted and Norma Mailer decided against it and, and decided to um, uh, keep it in. This is also based off the novel Tough Guys Don't Dance, also written by Norma Mailer. Um, but it's funny when you watch that clip out of context and then you watch it in the rest of the film with context. And I'm not saying that sequence isn't any less head scratching when you watch it. I mean, you watch it and it's, uh, it's strange, but then in the middle of the film, it, it doesn't even feel that out of place. If that clip hadn't become kind of an internet meme, truthfully, I don't even think if I, I don't even think I, I would have thought twice about it. Because the way, it's such a strange film, but a film that I really like. Um, it's, a, it's a divisive film. Actually, I wish I had the Blu-rays in the outer room. Uh, I don't want to get up and get it because I don't want to leave too much uh, open air, uh, dead air, I should say. But on the back of the slipcover, it says, like, different quotes. Like, oh, this film was great, this one was terrible. You know, it got, it was, uh, got like, a, a standing ovation at Cannes, but then it got nominated for a bunch of Razzies, uh, you know, or the Golden Turkey Awards. I don't know if they were called the Razzies then, I'm, I'm not sure. But but you watch the film, and it is strange, but it's oddly compelling. It's oddly engaging. Now, it's a film that all of the dialogue and all the acting, it, it feels like the char- the actors are reading it for the first time. You don't ever really feel like these actors mean what they're saying. Like, Ryan O'Neill's character, when he's talking to his father, played by Lawrence Tierney, you, you don't ever get a sense that they're actually related at all. It, it feels like they are just meeting for the first time in a way that all of the acting and all of the dialogue is like this, so it, it kind of makes me wonder whether or not how much of this was intentional, you know. Um, it's interesting to read the making of the film, how the film really went by with no problems. Norm, you know, everybody got along. Uh, you know, there were some problems here and there. And Norm Mailer had some issues with Lawrence Tierney, who's a notoriously kind of difficult actor who kind of was doing his own thing in this film. But, like, this has, like, you know, Ryan O'Neill, who's a terrific actor. You've seen him in plenty of stuff. You know, Love Story and What's Up, Doc. You know, Barry Lyndon. And then, you know, Isabella Rossellini, of course, from, like, Blue Velvet and Heaven's Gate. You know, just a terrific Oh, I'm sorry. Was she? No, not Heaven's Gate. That's um, Isabel Hubert. I, I apologize. I'm I'm thinking of something else. But she was in like Fearless and, and films like that. Uh, you know, all these terrific actors. You have all these terrific actors, and Lawrence Tierney, who you know, is a uh, you know, is is a great actor. But he watched him in this film, and and all of the dialogue and all of the acting is so consistent that it almost seems like an intentional choice, much in the way that you watch like a David Lynch film. Like, uh, I don't know, like Mulholland Drive or something like that, or Lost Highway, and all of the acting is, it, it's all the same stinted, I, I don't want to say awkward, like a bad thing, because that's definitely not a dig at that film, but, you know, you watch Lost Highway, and, or you watch Mulholland Drive, or these kind of films, and the all of the characters are acting in the same way that you're like, okay, this has to be intentional, and for, and for Lynch, you know it is. We know he's a master filmmaker, and has supposed, oh god. He's choking on my words there. Has specific uh, choices that he does, so you know it's all calculated, you know. Um, but with this film, it's just so strange at times, some of the choices, but completely engaging. I mean, you're watching this film, and a lot of the criticisms that I had in the film, the book actually addresses. More so, uh, you know, I wasn't aware this was based off a novel, but you watch it, and it feels like it's based off a novel. Because in the in the book, um, the Norm Mailer book, uh, it, you know, they talk about he had a lot of trouble because the book is is done from different perspectives, I believe, or it's, it's different situations. Um, I'm I'm paraphrasing here. I apologize, but the film he had trouble with the screenplay 
getting this information out, you know, without doing like flashbacks or like, you know, he had to do like narration and stuff. So there's a lot of difficulties there. And halfway, th- I should also mention Wings Hauser from the film. Love Wings Hauser. If you guys haven't seen Vice Squad, you got to get on that like white on rice. What a terrific film. But halfway through, I'm watching this film. And it's, it's such a strange thing to say, but I'm sitting there, I'm watching it, I'm completely focused, and I'm going, I don't know what the hell is going on in this film. I don't know where these characters are going. Characters just disappear. Plot threads disappear. It's it's a mess. However, it's an engaging mess. And that's going to sound like a backhanded compliment. And I sincerely promise you it is not. Because it is such an interesting film nonetheless. Maybe a little too long. It runs about uh, about um, 110 minutes. Um, but it does feel like, even though I don't really understand where the plot is going in a linear fashion in terms of like, I don't know what's going on. I am completely engaged with this and I really would have liked to have seen Mailer do some more work. Mailer talked about how much he enjoyed directing and how he, you know, writing as such as, you know, as any writer knows, you know, and, uh, you know, it's such an isolated sort of almost, uh, uh, like egregious act because you're forcing these words out of you. And obviously some people, you know, have easier times, you know, the words that flow out of them or, or, you know, a lot of times like writers, you know, just, you know, it can, uh, sometimes it can, the words just flow right on the page and other times you're just grasping at straws to get these out, you know? Um, so I really would have liked to have seen what else he would have done. You know, I think if he had started filmmaking earlier, in terms of films like this, not the not the experimental stuff, I think he really could have produced some incredible stuff. But the clock's running out. I got about 20 seconds left, so I got to quickly wrap this up. Have a fantastic Fourth of July weekend. Stay safe. Have fun. Get the work done, and I'll be back uh, soon. All right, guys. You guys all take care.